This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. So I got into the arts. I was always very artistic. I always doodled on my notebooks. Didn't study, didn't pay attention to math class, but I could always doodle. Didn't take any art classes. Worked with my dad after school every day, pretty much. Fished every time I had a chance, hunted as much as I could. <clears throat> One thing led to another. Anyway, after getting out of the four-year stint in the Navy, I came back going into construction business with my dad. And there was a big downturn in about 81, 82 in Florida, kind of a crash. And we got behind really bad. Well, everybody around me in town was driving new trucks and new boats. Marijuana smuggling was really, really popping in South Florida from Columbia. Ended up getting involved with that mess. So I did that for off and on as much as I needed to for five, six years. And my last job was 12 tons we unloaded off a shrimp boat up near Fort Myers. And uh, got caught, that was 1987. In 1989, they surrounded my house with four cars full of federal agents at 3 in the morning. So that was over with. So that's how the whole thing started. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Impact Outdoors podcast. Man, oh, man, have we got an interesting story for this week's show. Um, We've got one of the biggest names in game fish art um in the world on the show today mr steve whitlock and uh, i've been blessed to know steve for several years now and a uh, good friend of mine and and um was really lucky to get some time with him down here while i was in florida and um, had a great conversation about how he started his career and how he got to where he's at today and all the craziness that ensued in the, the beginning of his uh of his um journey into the world of art so um can't wait for you to hear this one so let's get right to it and welcome steve to the show thanks okay well i'm here in uh, sarasota florida right now with uh mr steve whitlock how are you doing, sir? Just lovely. Well, here in sunny Florida. It's good to see you, and it's good to be here, man. I just flew in today and uh, 
been wanting to get with you and uh, kind of talk to you about what all you got going on and stuff since I started this. And you're one of the original people I had on my list that I wrote up. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Glad you asked. So yeah, well, um, well, if people haven't heard of you um, before, you are uh, wildlife game fish game fish artist and yep. probably one of the, the biggest for coastal in the country for um marine and and you know fish and different stuff and uh i know you got a really unique story how this all started and yeah. stuff and uh, i met you probably gosh i don't even know how long ago that was, it was six the houston boat s- show yeah the houston fishing show i think yeah, and uh, it's probably six years ago six seven years ago and um we kind of hit it off and uh got a lot of your stuff around the house and know a lot of people a lot of friends of mine have got your stuff hanging all over the place. I was just over at my buddy Michael's house last week, and I turned around. And he's got, um, I think, uh, the Great Blue Heron. You have two of those? Yeah. If I, a white well, facing different. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's got both of those sitting right next to each other framed on the wall. So look at there. So. Yeah, I just sold the originals of those to um, really? the owner of Sunray Patio in Galveston. He bought those two original paintings and nice. two others. Yeah, you told me that. That's awesome. Um, well... You know, like I said before, you got a really cool story how you got started. And uh, have you lived in Florida your whole yeah. life? Or? Yeah. I was actually born in Tampa in 59 and uh, moved to South Carolina for a brief period. My parents uh, and grandparents owned a fish camp on one of the lakes in Lake Marion, South Carolina. And my other grandparents owned a tackle store in South Carolina on the Santee River. Nice. So I kind of grew up around that entire environment of the fishing community. At a very, I'm talking diaper age, and it stuck. You know, my earliest memories are fishing the Everglades with my dad with a cane pole for bluegill and shellcrackers and whatnot. Yeah. And we moved to Florida. I was probably three years, four years old, something like that. But at about six years old, we actually lived in the middle of the Everglades at Turner River Jungle Gardens. Oh, wow. So I grew up there, and we had a real Seminole Indian village, airboat rides, swamp buggy rides, all the tourist stuff. And I was just a young pup. I guess about five, because it came time to go to to school. Six years old, we moved to town to Naples, and my father was a plastering contractor, so we lived in Naples, Florida, our whole life. Hmm. And uh, I left there in '94 uh, to move to Sarasota to go to art school. So a lot happened between that point <laughs> and this point, but it's been one heck of a ride, put it that way. A lot's happened. Yeah. So I got into the arts. I was always very artistic. I always doodled on my notebooks. Didn't study, didn't pay attention to math class, but I could always doodle. And didn't take any art classes. Worked with my dad after school every day, pretty much. Fished every time I had a chance. Hunted as much as I could. <clears throat> One thing led to another. Anyway, after getting out of the four-year stint in the Navy, I came back going into construction business with my dad. Mm-hmm. And there was a big downturn in about 81, 82 in Florida. Kind of a crash. And we got behind really bad. Well, everybody around me in town is driving new trucks and new boats. Marijuana smuggling was really, really popping in South Florida from Columbia. Ended up getting involved with that mess. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I did that for off and on as much as I needed to. Yeah. For five, six years. And my last job was 12 tons. We unloaded off a shrimp boat up near Fort Myers and uh, got caught. That was 1987. In 1989, they surrounded my house with four cars full of federal agents <laughs> at 3 in the morning. Oh, so, my goodness. 
That was over with. So <laughs> that's how the whole thing started. So ended up you know, I ended up catching a five-year stint for the deal, the federal time. Mm. You know, it was while I was in a federal minimum security prison camp, I started working with watercolors on weekends at night when I wasn't worked. We worked a 40-hour week. I ran the kitchen for an Air Force base while I was in there. So I started doing watercolor Everglades landscapes off the top of my head. And one thing led to another. Got out, ended up going to Ringling Art School for four years. Got a bachelor's degree from Air- from Ringling. Where's that at? It's right here in town. Is it's it? one of the best art schools in the world. Yeah. 60 grand a year now to go there. Whew. Really expensive school. But it mm. stuck. But I did it my way. You know, when I went, I was 34 to 38. So I was as old as a lot of the faculty. So I tended to sit in the front of the classroom. It's different when you spend your money compared to your parents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's. It definitely I didn't is. have my mommy and daddy's credit card to play <laughs> with. <laughs> And all that money from the pot days was kind of over. You know, yeah. that dried up pretty quick. But uh, one thing led to another. Anyway, I got a bachelor's degree as an illustrator out of there. And uh, soon after graduation, uh, while I was actually, while I was a, my first year here, they terminated my parole, let me off parole a year early because I was doing the right things and going to college, was married, had a child, had a house, and doing working. So once they did that, I applied to the governor and got a pardon from our governor so I could get my voting rights restored. Okay. Once I received that, I applied to George W., his first term, toward the end of his first term. And third year, second term, I got a phone call from the U.S. Pardon Attorney calls me. Pardon Attorney calls you personally. It's kind of cool. I was actually hanging an art show with Bass Pro Shops in Miami at the time. And he said, on behalf of the President of the United States, Merry Christmas. Wow. So that kind of cleaned up that whole mess from the past. So, so, so during that time when all the, the dope smuggling and all that was going on, I mean, was, that, was it like the Wild West down here? No, it was I mean, casual. it was pretty just, everybody no. knew it was going on, and oh, then yeah. they finally just dropped the hammer down on it? Yeah, I mean, Everglades City was the hub, so to speak, of Colombian marijuana smuggling in South Florida, at least in my opinion. I know guys I was locked up with that worked almost every night in a month and brought in 1.5 million pounds in one month of Colombian gold bud wheat. They'd bring it up by freighter from South America. Our crab boats or shrimp boats would meet them at sea, 100 miles off coast. They'd transfer cargo, bring it to us, and we'd unload it in small boats and take it into the mangroves and get it somewhere you could get a truck to it. Mm. And eventually it all ended up in Miami, and it was distributed all over the east coast of the U.S. from there. But, I mean, our typical load was 15 to 20,000 pounds, 30,000 pounds a night. Man. It's a lot of money. It was fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you're single, you know, you're in your 20s, and you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And they couldn't really catch us doing it. We had all the frequencies for all the radios. We counter-surveilled law enforcement, you know, their boats, their airplanes. So we knew when they were going somewhere that people monitored scanners for us. Mm-hmm. So, so this actually was a getting caught. technical you know. uh, operation, y'all Yeah, had. but when they, they changed the laws like 85, 86, something like that, into RICO statues. And, and yeah. if two guys testified about you to the grand jury, you're done. They never had to catch you. They never caught us with a seat of the pot, not one ounce of it got ratted out a couple years after we did it mm. but i pled guilty to it i yeah i told the judge yeah i did it 
do what you gotta do yeah so were you uh was this when you were guiding um yeah i was because you were a fishing guide for a while too right yeah i ran a a 18 foot dolphin backcountry around my construction business but like we got in a pinch, bad pinch, like 60, 70 grand down when the crash happened. And my dad and myself and my partner all smuggled pot on a couple jobs to get us out of the hole, so to speak. And once you do that and you make 30 grand a night, it kind of ruins you a little bit. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know that's anybody a, that's making that. That's a year's <laughs> worth of wages back then. You know, you could do it in one night, in one boat ride. So it was easy. Um, I, I did okay at it. It was fun. I mean, a bunch of wild boys young boys running around in the woods at night with high-speed boats is exciting you know chasing the girls around the bars yeah you know a lot of money and no brains it gets a lot of people in trouble he does <laughs> now i'm looking back at it, it's 35 38 years ago and it seems like a world ago you know yeah and i was just down there in the same exact place i was deer hunting this past weekend in a place that used to be notorious for airplanes landing dope all the time. I found a twin-engine airplane when I was 22 years old. I found a twin-engine airplane sitting on a road down there, empty. One seat in it. Hit a stop sign when he landed it. Tore the wing up a little bit, blew a tire. <laughs> and my dad and I found two crash lights down there where they missed the road, hit the ditch. Oof. And um, so it was really active area. The law used to go out there in the mornings. The game wardens or sheriff, they'd go out and they'd take a can of spray paint and they'd paint a line across all the fresh airplane tire marks from the night before so they know they do yeah. it yeah so they could keep count how many planes were coming in checking meters out yeah there. yeah huh. i mean they, they blame dc3s would land out there on those roads that's crazy it was it's, it was crazy times sounds like it should be a movie yeah this yeah. whole story i'll sell my life story for the right fee <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just have to change a few names. Yeah, call Johnny Morris, see if he'll finance it for you. <laughs> he might. You never know. <laughs> so, well, that is that is crazy, and and I mean, you really, I mean, when you went to prison, I mean, it basically completely changed your trajectory. Oh yeah, you know, one hundred and eighty degrees, and yeah, it'll do that. That three a.m. knock on the door changes a lot of things. Yeah, but you know, once I got out and um, was back in the trades after I got out the penitentiary and whatnot for the first year year and a half i was back working and in that before i went to college i'd applied to the art school while i was waiting to hear back from the art school and the application i ended up falling two stories off a building to, on a job site and jacked oh, me no. up pretty good Oof. so while i was recuperating the art school accepted me to the school all i had to do was pay them so Basically, we sold our home in Naples on two and a half acres. Had a pretty place down there. Sold that, cashed out, moved to Sarasota, bought an older home, remodeled it, and went to school full time. And I ran a plaster repair business around my school schedule. And I mean, that's a lot of work. You, you got to run a house, a family, yeah. full time college out of your own pocket. And I didn't have any of that pot money. That stuff had blown away a long time ago. Yeah. So I started doing art shows after school street shows and one thing led to another and I ended up going to doing a show on the east coast of florida the bass pro next to bass pro store in dania at the igfa where it sits now mm -hmm. and they were having an airboat and a half track show over there and we showed up my wife and i showed up we we're green as we could be on doing art shows you know didn't have a clue i had like four charts i had painted at the time or something it's really sad <laughs> 
And I ended up running into Danny Benson, who was the manager of the Bass Pro there. And he really liked my stuff. Came back with a camera with one of the girls from the store. Took pictures. Sent them up to corporate. And next thing I know, I get an invite to do art shows with Guy Harvey, Don Ray, Gary Chen, and James Harris in Bass Pro. What, what year was this? Oh, probably 2000, around 2000. So this was kind of back before they started popping up everywhere. everywhere. There was only two or three stores. That's time. what I was thinking, yeah. Dania was a new store. The Key store was there. Fort Myers wasn't built yet. None of the other stores in Florida were built. So it was just basically the Key store, small store, and then the one on Fort Lauderdale. Mm. <clears throat> so I got into the ground floor of that. So That's we did amazing. a number of shows with, with Guy and, and Carrie and Don around Florida. And you learn a lot if you keep your mouth shut and your, your ears open a little bit. So I listened to guys that were, they weren't my senior in age, but they're certainly senior to me in experience. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to do game fish. And it's a learned thing, learning experience like anything else. Yeah. If you don't get better, you need to find something else to do. Go do something else. Right. Yeah. So that's, here I am now. I do where I was before COVID, doing 30 art shows a year, several events with Bass Pro Shops. We're now for 16 years, been full-time vendors with Bass Pro in stores and on online in the catalog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done apparel for Worldwide Sportsman brand. I've done the Bells Department Stores apparel brand here in Florida. Done a lot of different things, a lot of tournament artwork. And I started out by doing illustrations on navigational charts. That was what really started the whole process. Yeah. And I had actually seen uh, another artist was doing basically the same thing, but with pen and ink on a much smaller scale pages out of a chart book. They were just doodling on it, and it made it click because I was a, nav- a char- charter captain, you know, had been around boats my entire life, and I said, man, I can do that a lot better than that. You know? <laughs> so I just basically reinvented the wheel. I mean, people have been illustrating on navigational charts for mm-hmm. hundreds of years pretty much, sea monsters and whatnot. I just changed the type of sea monsters. Yeah, yeah. And that's big snook and monster tarpon I illustrate, but. Yeah. So that's what started the whole process, and, and I did that for 13 years, almost exclusive, exclusively navigational charts and pencil art. And then I started doing fine art, and almost everything I do now is more traditional fine art, coastal fish, offshore fish, mm-hmm. a lot of redfish. I work for CCA Florida, CCA Texas, done work for National Rifle Association. Yeah, my favorite that you've done, I think, is the Misty Reds. Yeah. Um, I still got to get a that's a pretty piece. copy of that piece. Yeah, <laughs> I remember because you last time I think you were in Texas, you were, you just come out with that mm-hmm. and had the original. I think over there maybe that was pretty. Yeah, CCA Texas um, asked me to do a piece for them like every year. They get the first sixty reproductions for the banquet program. Mm-hmm. I usually print like two fifty. They get the first sixty. If you get out of bed, don't worry about it. Give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I well, got one. There wasn't nobody <laughs> having banquets this year. So. No. No, they've been using the artwork. On, they've been having some online banquets here. Um, they had a Miami banquet. CCA Miami had theirs the other night. I was just invited to do one in Central Florida in a few weeks. They wanted me to be the featured artist. Unfortunately, I can't do it because I'm already booked in the Fort Myers Boat Show. So you can't be two places at once. And I yeah. run into that a lot with CCA because I do a lot of events with CCA Florida. Mm-hmm. And it's usually during show season, 
So I can't be on one side of the state one night and pop over to the other side and try to do an art show. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, that's good that you're wanted everywhere. That helps business. It does. You know, with COVID, it was a struggle at first, and I saw the writing on the wall where it was going. So my framer is a wholesale framer. He's got about 7,000 square foot of space, two buildings, and a bunch of guys working. He doesn't do any retail framing. It's all wholesale for furniture stores. Hooked up with a furniture store distributor. Design a specific line of illustration, color illustration, game fish art, 13 different designs, representing game fish from New England to Texas. Inshore, offshore, both. Print them at 20 by 40, frame at 30, 50. Uh, retails around 400 bucks, but we turn loose this distributor with them on a, basically on a rep rate. So I don't make that much money on the deal, but I never touch them. Yeah. But they're being distributed because people don't have anywhere to go buy art if there's no art shows. Where do you go if you want fish art? I mean, it's not like you can just walk in anywhere and buy a piece Bass of fish. Pro shop. Bass it. Pro Shops. So we've got two stores, Katie and Parallel in Texas, selling for me, and six in Florida, plus the online program, which we only sell unframed art. So I was looking for another huge wholesale market. Well, we picked up this distributor. He is selling the crap out of my artwork up the east coast and over to louisiana and we just picked up sunray out of galveston he's going to be representing my artwork in his store as well mm-hmm. so that's all good because it really picked up the slack because i wasn't able to travel like i used to do the only good thing is i'm not spending 35 or 40 grand a year traveling yeah you know, chasing these art shows yeah and if we ever get back to whatever the new normal is going to be I mean, it's going to be hard for a lot of people to go back that direction just because of what you just said and logistics. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I want stuff to open back up. I, I mean, you too. want to do shows, it's good meeting, you know, your, your people and stuff. And You know, some of the events I was doing, big seafood festivals like Destin Seafood Festivals, 200,000 people show up there. Those days are over. Typical art show for me, when I book a show, I look in my show books. You know, the, the books that we look at to do shows gives you the info. They give you the head count of my, mm-hmm. who showed up last year. If I don't see 20,000 people there, I really don't want to go. Yeah. And unless it's real specific, like a boat show or a fishing show, then you already cut the fat off the bone. But if you do a standard street art show, for me, even if I'm on the coast, I'm still only looking at one out of 100 people might know one end of a fishing rod from the other. And, I mean, you sell fish <laughs> art to anglers. Yeah. You don't sell it to people that fish you sell it to fishermen there's a difference people that fish you know they could come or go but f- true fishermen appreciate my artwork for the level of detail i put into it because i know what i'm doing i've been doing it my whole life i've been catching these fish yes. my whole life and i video shoot photos and catch all the fish that you see in my paintings i pretty much caught or been there when they were caught mm. and it gives a lot of true to life if you can't fool the people that i sell artwork to I mean, these guys can count the scales on a tarpon. You know? Yeah. I have little kids come in and can tell you what kind of lure might be shadow boxed in the frame or what kind of fish it is. Mm-hmm. And that's cool, you know, because I've kind of fostered a lot of kids along. Um, I've got one kid that's been buying a piece of art from me since he was probably 10 years old. Every year he comes to the show and buys another piece every year. That's cool. And it's cool to see him grow up. And now he's sending me pictures all the time of him catching tarpon and snook, and he's yeah. 17, 18 years old now. Man, that's having an impact on him yeah, for sure. it's cool. Hmm. Where do you see – so, like, in my opinion, 
artistry is, kind of, I don't want to say a dying art, but it just seems, you know, there's a lot of artists right now all over the place mm-hmm. doing a lot of different styles and techniques and stuff. But do you see that there's the next generation is going to continue to do that? or I don't do see, see that it? much of it at the the level we've been selling at for many years, street shows we've been doing for many years. And we talk about this amongst ourselves and the other artists out there that the guys my age, I'm 61 now, and I've been doing this for 20 years. I got a late start. And so I don't see that many young people coming into it. The Internet's drastically changed the entire art business. And I don't rely on original artwork sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mentor once told me, he says, you sell a painting once, you sell a print 500 times. Yeah, exactly. You know, and my artwork's affordable. That's always been a goal. Now you're right? selling shirts. And yeah, I do apparel. I do turbos tumblers and cutting boards. Yeah. Um, now we're in the puzzle market. We're doing puzzles with heart puzzles now. That, I'm going to have to order some for my I got kids. one sitting right around the corner right there. <laughs> They're a thousand piece, 24 by 30 inch puzzle. Oof. And... The three I initially started with were charts, of the 411 chart for the Gulf of Mexico. And it designed a six-fish billfish offshore slam on it that'll drive you crazy. And then we did a six-fish inshore slam, and I just did a bottom fish slam for the company mm. with groupers and snapper. And each one's independently different, but, you, you know, I'm targeting specific demographics of anglers. I don't just look at fishermen as a whole. You got your, your inshore guys, which is everything from Texas all the way around through the Carolinas and up coast even more. And then you have your offshore guys, marlin guys, which are far fewer. Yeah. But they tend to spend more money on original art than reproduction art. Then you got your good old bottom fish guys that are food fishermen. And they buy the nav charts as well. Mm-hmm. So you kind of target wherever I go. My package of artwork is never the same Art show to art show to art show. I might be on the east coast of Florida one day with billfish and mahi. And then next day I might be on the Tampa market selling snook, tarpon, and reds. Yeah. Or maybe driving to Louisiana or Alabama. I'm driving to Alabama on Thursday to do a show, the Jubilee show. And that's all about flounder, redfish, and trout. They don't care about anything else. Texas doesn't care about anything else really but redfish, flounder, trout, and a few offshore guys. And if you match the hatch... You're going to be more successful at selling the artwork. Yeah, now you've got, I mean, you've been doing it for a while, but, I mean, you've incorporated the coastal, Gulf Coast states, and I'm sure the East Coast as well, you know, with with um, Texas theme, Louisiana theme, nautical mm-hmm. charts, and, and different prints and stuff that you've done. Yeah, I've done artwork from uh, Long Island, a couple different originals for Long Island, all the way down coast, around Florida, over to Texas. Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, Alaska, Bahamas. A lot of a custom commission work. Most of my nav charts and most of my paintings are more commissioned. I very rarely have time to work for on a painting for my own mm-hmm. stock and inventory. And during COVID, I've sold in the last couple of months six originals. Well, that was a year and a year and a half's worth of work that I'm now trying to replace in a few months <laughs> before I go but back. But you're working on one right now. I'm trying, and a lot of people want me just to call it quits right there yeah. because it's a beautiful mangrove scene. I had plans for tarpon in it, and now <laughs> they got me rethinking it. So, you know, you know, that's the hard part is you never know when done's done. Yeah. you got to know when to quit sometimes. But I've been wanting to do more landscape stuff. I sort of started out doing I really enjoy doing the landscapes. I mean, I painted 
six or seven different redfish pieces and four or five tarpon pieces. And every time you paint another painting, it should be better than the last one. And it makes the last one obsolete, so you might be sitting on just a couple hundred prints mm-hmm. that you're pushing your new piece out over. So you're just taking your dollar and you're dividing it up yeah. around how many different redfish scenes you have. So each one has to be different enough to be appealing to someone. They're not appealing to everyone. Some stuff I can't stand, I throw in the trash. People absolutely love. You just never know. I've had people come in and buy my artwork and then ask me what kind of fish it was. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, the art business is full of a lot of BS. You know, it, some of the levels like art galleries and whatnot, I really don't like associating with art galleries too mm-hmm. much. I'd rather do a street show and pay a one-time fee of a few hundred bucks to rent that piece of floor space. And have my own gear and keep all the money. Yeah. I mean, I've got bad habits to support, like <laughs> hunting and fishing. Right, don't we all? Yeah, they're not the habits I used to have, yeah. fortunately. A little bit different. Yeah. Still involve the water. But still got to have a little cash to have fun, so. Uh. I, I just love being on the water. I love being out in the environment. I love representing nature. It's the way I grew up. Well, you are very talented at it, and I uh, really appreciate your craft, and, and, um, do you do, uh, I know you've done some sketch, you did quite a bit of sketch work, you know, pencil Yeah, there's one stuff. right behind you on the wall, that big um, bass eating a shiner. I love doing pencil work. I like yeah. green tone. So is there one style you like more than the other? Or one no. That's no. I, I, I work with acrylics because I work in my home. I have a home-based studio. I don't like oils in my house. It's toxic. It's smelly. Mm-hmm. I love the what oils done very fluid with oils acrylic watercolor pencil color pencil worked with all the mediums when i was in school but i settled on acrylic because a it's fast and the most important things i could paint on a dry mounted no navigational chart and you could paint it acrylic acrylic can be painted either transparently or very directly and very opaque you can make it a heavy body you can put texture into it but the best thing about acrylics it dries very fast so I could be working on one fish, get off of that, move over to another fish, go right back to the other one, back mm-hmm. and forth. And when you're illustrating onto a nav chart, they're typically 30 by 40, give or take. Yeah, I, dry out, I dry them out my charts on gator board, so it's a rigid archival surface. So is that like very a, smooth. Is that it's like, like foam a foam board. Is it like a foam board? Yeah, yeah, but it's very strong, very dense, but it's very light. And it's archival, so it won't mm-hmm. you know do anything to the color of the chart, change it over time, the paper. And we print our own charts now on white paper, so you get a much cleaner look than the old off-white nav- yeah. navigation charts Noah published. But when you paint on a chart, there is no zero margin of error. Don't get outside the lines. Don't drop a paintbrush, because <laughs> you're not going to fix it. If you drop a paintbrush on your chart somewhere, it's over. I've, d- I've only probably killed two pieces out of 60 65 i painted Damn. i've had to start over on two from just stupid mistakes yeah paint something in the wrong spot and then you go oh, crap there's no eraser where's the light out <laughs> pencil has an eraser acrylic <laughs> <laughs> there's no yeah. eraser. on a fine art painting you know my foundation color like the one you were looking at in the studio the sky is a real pretty pale gray early morning gray i make enough of that paint up and put it in a tupperware dish that i have enough paint to touch up things later you know clean it up a little bit whatever i have to do but Mm -hmm. when you're working on a chart you really don't have that advantage because it's basically don't get outside the line so to speak yeah my mentor once told me too. dick kramer was my mentor he's 
probably the finest tactical combat artist in the world. A magician with a pencil. Mm. Nobody better. He said, um, he says, paint what you see, not what you think you see. So between that and sell the print 500 times, those were the two pieces of advice I took away from the conversations I had with him prior to art school. And he was very instrumental in helping me arrange fi- financing and funding to be able to go to school. He's 82 now, but he, most of the work he does is law enforcement and military. Mm-hmm. Illustration work. and Does a lot of work for the Pentagon. Uh, did a big mural in the Berlin airport. He's That's been around amazing. forever. He's the man when it comes to yeah, that. Yeah, I've, I've heard of him, but I didn't know yeah. a lot of that. And, you know, and I heard you had told me before that you kind of studied under him. So Yeah, it was an accidental meeting. I was still over at Homestead Air Force Base finishing up my little bit of time. And uh, I had taken some photographs. My wife had taken some photographs of some of the watercolor Everglades paintings I was doing while I was in the can. And she had them laying on her desk. And she was the secretary for a big roofing outfit down in Naples at the time. Well, her insurance guy happened to walk in one day and see the photos of the paintings. He picked them and he said, wow, these are beautiful. Where were these taken? She said, well, those are paintings. He said, no, they're photographs of the woods. She said, no, my husband painted these. He said, can I share these? And he took them down and showed them to Dick. Uh-oh. He was friends with Dick Kramer. Next thing, Dick Kramer calls my wife. So I'd like to sit down and talk to your husband. I saw some photos of his paintings. I'd like to mm. talk to him. When can he come by? She says, about three months. <laughs> He'll be home in June. <laughs> so when I, I got out, she told him what was going on. He said, well, crap, weed, I don't care. Have him come see me. So that's <laughs> what started the whole conversation. Well, you need to go to art school. He says, God's going to cut your hand off if you don't go to art school. So I listened to him. And it was a big leap, man, you know, coming out of on my heels, so to speak, coming out of prison, broke, you know, yeah, go back into trades, imagine. spoiled because I had that easy money for too long for a few years there, and it ruined you. So I had to knuckle back down. And so did you at least buy you a nice fishing boat during that time? <laughs> I had three, I was 25 years old, had three boats in my yard, I had a custom built $20,000 airboat, a 26-foot offshore boat with a pair of two thirsty fives on it and a tuna tower and a eighteen uh, foot dolphin backcountry. All paid for with cash. Mm-hmm. You know. And I wonder why I went away. I was twenty five years old with too many toys and no job. So at the time with the we just thought we were bulletproof because unless they actually caught you doing something, you could get pretty much get away with anything you wanted to at the time. And then, like I said, they brought in the feds because Everglades City was getting out of control. And then all that craziness in Miami with the cocaine people, that's a whole other category of criminal. Yeah. <laughs> we were a bunch of commercial fishermen and contractors. And if you weren't third generation or fourth generation in Florida, you weren't in. The Yankees weren't allowed in there. It didn't happen. And um, so... That's kind of how it all started, and here I am today with a presidential pardon and working for Bass Pro Shops. It's funny because U.S. Customs now hires me to do artwork for them. That's funny. That's I do the really retirement funny. artwork how for How ironic. It's crazy. None of them said, man, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Those guys weren't born yet. <laughs> man, but yeah, we see those guys cruising around all the time over in Galveston, man, on their big uh, go-fast boats. Yeah, midnights. Yeah, yeah they uh, approached me a few years ago. Because what I started doing in and around paintings, uh, I've become pretty handy with a computer. I'm able to Photoshop people's boats or ships, aircraft, mm-hmm. 
onto the navigational charts. And it fills a nice void because military and law enforcement guys have a very restricted budget, a lot of it by regulation, that they can't spend over X amount of dollars for a gift for an outgoing CEO or someone that's changing mm-hmm. command or retiring. So I was able to, I did one for the U.S. Navy, the USS Normandy, inbound on the Chesapeake Bay chart where I took a helicopter shot that they provided me, helicopter shot they provided me, and I Photoshop out all the background except for the wake, the reflection of the ship, and the ship. I get it between every cleat. I erase every detail that's that I don't want to see. Yeah. And I'm able to drag that over and Photoshop it onto a chart, put custom quotes into it, put custom logos onto it. And then that led into doing three different pieces for the customs and border protection guys now out of the Keys. I just did one for the U.S. Coast Guard as well as retirement gift for an outgoing CO. Yeah. And then NOAA That's that makes the charts hired me to do three research vessels for them for the same type of thing. So I filled in a nice niche. I can do it in between paintings. It's affordable for the client. It's cool. I'm doing something for law enforcement military, which I, I give them a big discount typically mm-hmm. over private owners. But I do a lot of private owner sport fish boats and whatnot. Yeah, I've too. seen some of that work. So, but it, I mean, you're looking at 500 bucks or 6,000 bucks yeah. for a painting. You know, it's, that's the difference. And some people want the painting, some people don't. Yeah. You know, guys change boats a lot. So, do they want to spend six grand on a boat they may not have next year? They upgrade or downgrade or whatever yeah. they do. Yep. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish, it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Man. So, um, down here right now, what as far as, let's get into the fun stuff like fishing and stuff like that so what what do you, what do you fish for around here red mostly? fish are hot here september october yeah that's when the reds turn on around sarasota bay and they'll start pocking up in schools and feeding are they doing better here now yeah we got whacked by the red tide uh, two years straight it just decimated our fishery yeah, here i know it was like guides. you know yeah put a lot of guides out of business here they just weren't here yeah it was from here to naples about 150 miles of coastline just was wiped both inshore and offshore species were cleaned out. So mm-hmm. there's a moratorium on any snook, redfish, and sea trout harvest from South Tampa to North Naples. No bag limit, closed. You can catch fish, but you can't keep anything mm-hmm. here. Groupers are still open. You know, your snappers are open. All that offshore stuff's still available. But um, our tarpon made a strong comeback this year. I just don't have the time to fish anymore yeah. with business. And sold my Hughes a couple of years ago. The red tide hit us real bad. And, I mean, I had about 13 years, had less than 400 hours on it. Because I'm running around with a trailer behind me 30 weeks a year. Yeah. And my fishing partner went and got married and got two kids. So <laughs> he's off the water. <laughs> and, you Shoot. know, the problem with my job is I work weekends. And yeah, all my friends sure. work weekdays. Right, so I'm gone on weekends, and it's just hard to get somebody to go play no. on weekends. 
you know, if I'm gone and they can't, they can't go on a weekday typically. This, this has been the hardest year too, because you know I work during the week oh. and on the weekends. So. Well, the COVID changed everything. We take care of my my mom's up in years, and she's got some issues, so we have to take care of her. One of us has to be here twenty four seven. She lives here at home with us. She has her own place here, her apartment. So my wife and I can't even fish together anymore or yeah. do art shows together anymore. So now I'm down to doing art shows pretty much by myself. It's not hard work. It just takes longer. So, and if you throw in some weather issues, it can be, I mean, my stuff's allergic to rain. Yeah, this has not been a uh, no, pleasant been year. a rough year, man, for weather. Especially I mean, for the all the panhandle art shows I would normally have done, Orange Beach, Alabama, Fairhope, um, uh, Pensacola Seafood Festival, Destin Seafood Festival, all those shows either due to COVID or hurricanes have canceled out. I lost Rockport Art Show this year because of the hurricane. I spent several thousand dollars on framed art to go do Rockport five days before the show. They canceled the show. Yep. Yeah, so, you told me that. Mm. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's better just to run over to the dog track, <laughs> throw a grand down to see what happens. But, yeah. you know, what I did is I reached out through social media, Instagram and Facebook to our friends in Texas because they do a lot of work for CCA. And I belong to a lot of fishing groups in Texas, and I offered discounts on all that inventory that I had done for that show. And I was able to liquidate most of the artwork and at least recover my mm-hmm. my cost on it. It's an expensive game to play. I mean, if anybody's done anything with frame shops, they can understand what framing costs. But Well, it's the same thing with a lot of things. Like A lot of people I've interviewed know, I mean, they have a, a really big apparel part of their business. And, you know, that's just as bad. Because yeah. you don't have the right size or you're out of everything. Wrong color. Need. Yeah. Yeah, so we had eight. At one point, we had 18 designs, five sizes, and five colors. And it bankrupted the silkscreen company I was working with. They couldn't keep the stock. And it was for Bass Pro Shops. Mm-hmm. We had, I think, 12 or 13 Bass Pro stores selling that line of apparel at the time. And actually bankrupted the girl that we were working with here. She couldn't keep up with it. Because if you get a purchase order and it includes a short sleeve green redfish shirt, she doesn't have any because it was silkscreen. You got to fire up the machine, the automatic silkscreen machine, and print 140 some pieces just to make it worthwhile to warehouse them on a shelf. Well, everybody's doing sublimation printing now. Mm-hmm. It's print on demand. You don't have to stockpile anything. You just have to stockpile blanks. And like the deal we currently have, you can go on my website. SteveButlock.com, and you can order a shirt, your size, any design you want, and they'll ship it to you. Yeah, for forty bucks, you don't even have to leave the house, and that works, you know. And now we've got the puzzles out; they're selling like crazy. We're trying to get those into the market, looking for wholesale dealers for the puzzles. I mean, from the company, you can buy that puzzle for twenty five dollars, and they include shipping. That's hard to that's, beat. That's really hard to beat. And with COVID, I didn't really give puzzles a big thought. But the guy I was doing my cutting boards for came to me and approached me about doing a puzzle line for him. He says, they're going crazy. Everybody's stuck at home. Yeah. And you need to get into places like Hobby Lobby and stuff like that. I'm we're already right. in Bed Bath & Beyond. We're working on Bass Pro right now, Cabela's and Bass Pro. And we've got some other irons in the fire. The program just started. I just got my first samples a month or so ago. And I'm waiting on the inshore design to come out. We currently have the offshore one. And um, I want the in, I want to really want to see the inshore one. It's 
I'm an inshore guy for the most part. Yep. I can't help it. Hmm. I've been doing some wade fishing around the flats here around town. You know, afternoons, the tide's right. I'll catch a low tide and go wade fish. Yeah. I got my Texas wading belt. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have many um, group, uh, Goliath grouper up oh, yeah. this direction? Too many. I know, I know there's, I know it's a big issue over here. Yeah. And where does that stand right now? Because I know they were talking about doing possibly a lottery tag. Yeah, I've heard, you know, something like a kill tag, like you have to buy for a tarp in here would be the way to go. And maybe you could harvest one fish a year. Maybe. I don't even know if you want to put a size restriction. The problem is, is on every wreck and piece of structure we have, there's glass everywhere. Back in the 80s, when I was commercial fishing and charter fishing, we could harvest them. I'd get mm-hmm. 50 cents a pound for them back then on the hoof. with just gut it out head on. And I guess they made fish sticks or something out of them. They eat pretty good, but they're, if you can imagine a 300-pound grouper, they're pretty coarse. Yeah. You know, it's, they get kind of tough, but... Personally, I like them around 70, 80 pounds. I just want to catch one. It can be a small one in the mangroves oh, yeah. or whatever, man. The, the small the, ones are beautiful. There's yeah. a lot of color in them. Now, you still can't You can't even pull them out of the water completely no. now, right? No. You can't take anything out of the water around here anymore. You can't lift a fish out for a pitcher. It's gotten kind of sad. Yeah. Well, there I've, I've killed glass over 400 pounds spearfishing. Yeah. Well, there's a few in Texas still, but they're pretty much, they're not extinct over there. But, I mean, they're, you know, you see the pictures from back in the 50s and stuff. And these guys were on the Galveston jetties using chickens out there and just pulling in, you know, have two or three of them hanging up at the docks. Yeah, rope and chain, man. You know, these big, giant, three, four hundred pound fish. And uh, um, there's probably still one swimming around out there at the jetties, but nobody's going to bring him <laughs> Yeah, a buddy of mine down in Naples, he kind of focuses on Goliath and sharks and whatnot, and he takes his guys out, and they'll drop a snapper down on a chain with a big hook tied to the stern cleat, put a slip knot in it. And when the slip knot pops, pops, put the boat in gear, yeah, and pull them out of the wreck. <laughs> Man, it's crazy watching people with videos of them handline fishing for them and stuff. Oh, yeah. it's, gee whiz. Well, we're going to be out tomorrow, hopefully in a scene similar to what you got on your uh, canvas in here, hopefully catching some tarpon, and uh, who knows, maybe we'll get lucky and find a... Yeah, the water's been warm up till the last, it's probably still in the 80s, up until the last month or so, now it's starting to cool off a little bit, been getting a lot of rain, that'll drop it pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, I was doing a lot of bass fishing around town here the last few months, I mean, it's I caught a seven and a half and eight and a half, 30 minutes apart out here in a residential lake. Nice. I'm catching them. We started fishing them at night, worm fishing at night, walking the shoreline. And then we said, well, just bring the canoe in here and worked on it because part of the shoreline was fenced off, cow ranch. Mm-hmm. So, but you could get to it by boat, but they frown on you jumping the fence, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So we catch a lot. I mean, your average fish, four or five pounds. At night fishing. So y'all have a lot of exotic fish around here? Not too much here. Once you get to Naples, you start picking up on peacocks and other types of non-natives yeah, like chicklets like and oscars. Knife and fish have become a really big uh, draw yeah. for knife people. Knife fish is a big thing over in Boca Raton, Palm Beach, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, yeah. along with peacocks. A lot of guides making a living catching peacocks and knives over yeah. there. I've never caught, I've caught some small peacocks, never caught a knife yet, but. I mean, there's canals I could take you to right now on the side of I-75 in Naples that you can catch tarpon, snook, 
um, bass. Uh, what else is in there? Some there's a lot of peacocks in there now, hmm. but you can catch all these species because these these canals used to have access to the salt water, and over the changing years and development and water control measures and whatnot, they've changed a lot, mm-hmm. and a lot of these species adapt to that fresh water environment completely perfectly. So, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get. I like yeah. throwing like a six inch gold rapala. I catch everything in the world on that gold plug. You know, that tarpon, snook, red, it doesn't make any difference. They're going to eat it. Mm. But, I mean, that's from the side of the road. In the Everglades, you can catch all kinds of stuff off the road. So most people over here fish artificials. Mm-hmm. I know one big difference between here and Texas is the bait scene. It's totally different. But I you mean, guys throw the little, little teeny cast nets out there, too. Yeah, it's it's six or seven foot. That's terrible. Um, you know. I throw a 12. Yeah, we can't do that over there. You get in yeah. trouble. So <laughs> Nothing against the law do you get caught. <laughs> yeah. You can go to Louisiana and do it. But, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot different fishing over there. I mean, we talked about the tarpon fishing mm-hmm. over there is completely different than over here. And, and um, you know, there's, there's a lot. Uh, South Texas is similar to Florida just because of the water clarity, shallow water. There's snook. You know, there's some mangroves down there. There's, you know, we've got snook in Galveston all yeah, over. I've heard that. And um, just people don't fish for them, in my opinion. Well, you guys consider a snook like a trophy fish if you catch one yeah. in Texas. We catch them on a regular basis here. Yeah, first time I came and fished here in Tampa, I think we caught 50 or 60 yeah. one day, and I was just like, I mean, they're like the sunfish. E- the East Coast, like <laughs> Jupiter. In the, in the mullet run over there, it's usually you know early summer, May, June, July. The snook spawns on it. Those guys are catching 45 to 50-inch snook. They're monsters. I mean, they're eating three-pound mullet. Yeah, I've heard Jupiter is the place to Jupiter's go. Jupiter's the place, you know. But my biggest is a 42-inch fish over here in venison on a live needlefish. But typically, I'll throw top waters. It depends on how grassy the water is. Lots of, we got a lot of eelgrass here, mm-hmm. and you can't throw topwaters in that mess. You you throw um, like saltwater assassin, bass assassin, weedless plastics, yeah, and catch red snook and trout doing that. But our fishery's just now starting to recover. I was out a week and a half ago, caught seven, eight nice trout one evening. But a year ago, you wouldn't catch anything catfish because it just got wiped the only thing that that the red tide benefited was the shrimp population mm. I mean, we we're catching seven inch brown shrimp 10 pounds an hour a man off the bow of a boat with a dip net and a headlight and they're not swimmers they're just crawling on the bottom in the grass you just see their eyeballs everywhere you look there's <laughs> monster shrimp and we just dipping them up like crazy because uh, there's no predators to eat them. So they have scallop fishery here? No, there's a scallops the are illegal. you got to go all the way up to Homosassa, Cedar Key, Homosassa. another 150 miles up coast to harvest a scallop. All our shellfish in Sarasota Bay are protected. You know, when I was growing up in southwest Florida, we would take a wash tub. There were no condos on the beach. You could drive down the beach in a truck. And the back bays... They weren't polluted. They didn't have runoff from golf courses or mm-hmm. residential sewage or anything else getting into them from septic tanks. We'd drag, drag a wash tub around and get clams and oysters and gig flounder, and everything was just seemed like it was so much better growing up here than it is down. Our coastline is nowhere near as developed as bad as the East Coast is. 
that place is a zoo over there as far as traffic and stuff goes. But if you move north to here another hour, two hours north, home of Cedar Creek, it's like going back 100 years. Mm. I mean, the coastline is pristine. Yeah, I haven't been up there. No. So much they, nature coast up here above Cedar Key, Steenhatchee, yeah. all the way to Apalachicola. There's nobody there. There's no t- really towns. It's just 100, 150 miles of coast. That's just pristine, crystal clear water. Mm-hmm. I mean, unlike Texas, the water's not, you know, that's the one down thing I don't like fishing about Texas. The water's not clear. Yeah. And I'm yeah, a sight fisherman. We uh, look for our fish before we catch them. I tell everybody that we're where we're at. We're in the armpit of the Gulf of Mexico. It's just all the wind blows in our direction, so all the mud and sediments yeah. just always. It's not so much that the water couldn't be clear because this summer was probably the best summer I've ever seen for good water. I mean, we had emerald green water mm. in the bays. Nice. I mean, it, it was nice. You get out around the jetties and in lower Galveston Bay. I mean, it was just beautiful all summer. It's usually not like that. I mean, yeah. you usually you get pockets of it, you know, a couple of days here, a couple of days there. But it was consistently, looked like we was almost in Florida. <laughs> so it was fun. Yeah. You know. I spend about two or three weeks in the Keys every year. I do a show with Bass Pro's Worldwide Sportsman Store down there in July in conjunction with the beginning of our lobster season. Mm-hmm. So I'll go in and do an art show for a few days. We rent a house for a month, my fishing buddy and myself. We take our families down with us. And come and go i mean it's a four-hour ride from here so we'll go down we'll fish a few days if you got to come back and work a couple days get things buttoned up around the office or whatever we do take care of that too but you know we might be snapper fishing one night dolphin fishing next day diving for lobster the following day if you want to catch tarpon it's like go to the fish cleaning table how many you want to catch (laughs) yeah i mean throw a dolphin belly on a circle hook and while you're cleaning the fish you throw it in the canal and hang on yeah you're gonna get nurse sharked out or tarpon out my son-in-law was from Texas, and he was down there with us this year. And um, my little granddaughter, actually my buddy's daughter, was the one that first saw him. She's tarping, tarping. She's like four. <laughs> she's pointing in the water because she's seen the tarpon flashing into you know as we're throwing fish chunks in. So I hooked up a big pen spinner with some sixty braid, a piece of eighty liter, and a nine out circle hook. Hooked a dolphin belly on it, threw it in the canal, and just handed it to my son-in-law. Said, "Here, hold on to this." <laughs> It's just mean. <laughs> it was like lickety split, man. I watched that tarpon come up and just in, inhale that. And he got four or five good jumps out of that fish. We tried to leader the fish and it popped off, chafed, mm. chafed the leader off. But he got the leader, so it was a caught fish. Got some photos. But he's been dying to catch a tarpon. I said, well, we don't have to go anywhere. Just catch one right <laughs> now. Don't make. If you want to chase one with a fly rod all over the flats all day and spend a thousand bucks, you can do that too. Yeah. Or you can use a piece of cut bait and anchor up in the creek. Yeah. Like yeah. We, and uh, the uh, first time uh, we talked about this beforehand, you know, first time I fished here, uh, we fished over on the, uh, I think in 2015, we went to Canaveral, fished over there. Mm-hmm. You know, we were going for tarpon, but they were like, oh, the Gulf Stream's pulled back offshore, water dropped, temps, and they've moved further south. And so we just drug baits for kings and ling and stuff and we really it was kind of a bad trip and then uh i was like well we're gonna fish the other side next year <laughs> so we came over here to tampa and i mean we had tarpon rolling around us all day long mm-hmm. and and chris would be like all right so you see they're here but they ain't feeding 
and when they start wanting to eat, you'll you'll tell because one boat will hook up and then another boat will hook up, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. After about three hours, somebody hooked one, and then five minutes later, you know, we were getting drug across the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, yeah. I think we ended up, that first fish we hooked, I think we ended up about three and a half miles from where we hooked it there at Egmont. And um, I'll never forget that fish. The direction we went, there was one boat about a mile from us, and that fish ran straight to the transom of that boat and started tail walking behind their motor and soaked them. And I've got them on video, and we drove by them, and they're all wet from that damn fish. <laughs> and uh, went, you know, another mile or so, and finally pulled the hook on it. Yeah, they'll actually jump in the boat with you once in a while, I have too. seen yeah. some videos like of this. Grand, that happens a lot. Yeah, especially when there's uh, some toothy critters chasing them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've had them bounce off boats, jump in the boats. I jumped one of the keys at the dock. I was down there fishing with Bertram. Did some art for Bertram Yachts. And they invited me to come fish the World Sailfish Cup with them. And we were on a 63 Bertram Demopi. And it was a bye day. We'd been out drinking. I was down there with Wade Boggs and his wife. Nice. So we were partying with them. They were fishing with us for the weekend. So we were having a good time. Went out and closed the bars down the night before. And everybody was feeling a little green the next morning. <laughs> so I get up. I go back out in the cockpit of the boat having a cup of coffee and Everybody had bait pins with goggle eyes and stuff in them, you know, thread fins and goggle eyes. And the tarpon are just circling the bait pins. They're all under the docks. <laughs> I couldn't stand it. I went under my truck. I had an 8-weight and a 12-weight. I grabbed the 8-weight fly rod. Under-tooled. Yeah, to <laughs> say the least. I had a little <laughs> permit crab on it. And I got back in the boat and roll casted a few times up under the dock and one ate it about maybe 80 pounds. That lasted about three seconds and it popped off. <laughs> So instead of re-rigging, I just went and grabbed the 12-weight and had a, a orange grizzly tarpon fly on it. And one probably about maybe 100, 110 came cruising by and saw it and just inhaled it. And I let him eat it, and I let him have it. And when I set the hook, he did a backflip off the guy's boat on the other side of the dock, slimed that guy's <laughs> boat deck all up. My line's under the dock over his bow rail. And back in the water, and I just grabbed the spool of the line and popped him off. There was no, there was no way you're going to land him. And the restaurant was going crazy because it was lunchtime. You're not supposed to be fishing there anyway. So, hey, nothing's against the rules till you get caught, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> tarpon fishing off of 63 Bertram tied to the dock. Oh, well, man. Well, um, well, have you got? Um, any with all that you've done and been through and in, in this career and stuff for up and coming artists these kids that are you know there's 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 kids out there yeah. that are that are wanting to do this i mean what would you tell them i mean you have anything that you'd like to pass on if one of them might listen to this one day work hard develop a I'm trying to figure out how to best say it Develop a style or a theme. I mean, you're not going to sell paintings of the mountains in Florida. Mm -hmm. You're not going to sell paintings of Florida in the mountains. So you need to keep that in mind. Uh, I target my particular artwork to a particular market and environment. And for me, that works. It doesn't work. I mean, landscape painters can sell landscapes anywhere pretty much. And back to what I said before. If your work's really good and it's in demand, reproduce it. It's money in the bank. 
you know, I never played the stock market, and but I've got tens of thousands of unsigned or signed limited edition reproductions in my warehouse that I'm constantly selling them. I've had some of these things for 15 years. I've sold out of a lot of editions. And for what I paid for them back then, you wouldn't do that with a stock on what I'm getting for these pieces now, especially the ones that I'm running out of, you yeah. know, the smaller editions or even the big editions. Some of my editions are only 750. I never do anything more than 750 editions. So, you know, I've done, I probably sold out of six or seven completely run out of six or seven different pieces now. And I'm just kind of letting a lot of that go. But my original goal was to, as I got older and wanted to do less art shows, was to rely on that inventory I've been developing over all these years mm -hmm. as a retirement fund, basically. And it's still an okay force. You know, I'd like to see things better. Um, we were kicking it compared to what the recession did to us. That almost put me out of business because, A, wall art's directly tied to housing. Yep. If the housing market's soft, people aren't buying artwork. Renters don't buy artwork. People that move a lot don't buy artwork. You know, you got to have steady guys with a boat, love to fish. That's my target. Mm -hmm. You know, from 28 to 65, maybe, demographics. And I sell probably 60% of my artwork sold to women. Because ladies buy most of the stuff that goes, it's got to get past them to get it in the house. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they don't want to see some stinky old fish painting hanging on the wall, maybe. So, Daddy, she's got to ask permission. I've had a lot of women blow the deal out of the water on the spot. <laughs> Comes in, where are you going to put that? <laughs> I had one guy come in. He really wanted to buy it. He was with me 10 minutes, wanted to buy a big piece for like 400 bucks. And his wife comes in and says, I don't like it. I looked at him. I said, grow a pair. <laughs> <laughs> he left. She you really left. don't like it now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just... You know, I've been working this guy, and she came in and just blew the deal. I was looking, I said, dude, if you want to grow up here, it's your house, too. It <laughs> <laughs> didn't work. Sorry. But at that point, I had nothing to lose. But, you know, as far as young people coming in the art business, I do street shows. I mean, you can go to work. If you want to sit in the cubicle and go to somewhere like Ringling or uh, maybe SCAD out of, out of Georgia is another good art school or Fort Lauderdale Art Institute or somewhere. If you want to sit in the cubicle and draw for Walt Disney, that's one thing. But today it seems like everybody wants to do computer animation, computer illustration, graphic design. I'm still old school paintbrush and water. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a dinosaur, I guess, in this business. But it works for us. I'm happy with it. It's been a great life. Yeah, it's you know kept the bills paid. Well, that's uh that's what it's all about. You know, it's, you got your passion. It's my passion. Where your life's led you. But and, it's a career, yeah. you know. And I did a recent um, Zoom thing with the Ringling Art School and interviewed myself and another artist and she was so much different than me more spiritual and and all this stuff with the artwork and the emotion behind it and I said I'm into it it's a job yeah you know I've got bills to pay I've got a house to take care of overhead I run a you know pretty major art business out of here I don't have time to play games it's a job and if I don't sell artwork, I don't make any money. It's not running through the door, mm -hmm. you know, so I've got to constantly be working social media, constantly having, you know, my face out there and be invisible because once you become invisible, they forget about you immediately. If you get off the show circuit or you get away from the tournament circuits, there's somebody like there's a hundred guys that step over my dead body to get into Bass Pro shops to be a vendor with those guys. Yeah. So you got to constantly keep things fresh and if it's not moving, you're not going to make any money. You know, and 
it's it's a living like any other job and i always looked at it like that yeah just being a realist and a naturalist i had a you know family to take care of and bills to pay and a lot of student loan debt to deal with at the time mm-hmm. and uh, none of that comes easy hard work is what it takes to get it done but you got to stick with it it takes years but you know every corporate contact i ever made i made at art shows on the street really? i've never chased corporate work I've never, you know, submitted. It all came to, to you. It all comes to me at the street level. They'll, you know, they'll be out walking around with their families at a street show and see your stuff, and the wheels will start turning. And next thing you know, you got a contract being offered to you to do this, that, or the other. Yeah. You know, so you never know who the next guy is that walks in the booth. Mm-hmm. He might be a multimillionaire and cutoffs and half drunk on draft beer. My favorite kind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, it's so cool, and, and it's so cool to know what you're doing, and how many homes that and stuff that your it's artwork can possibly be still in across the country, me, man. man. I mean, that's it's just nuts, does. you know. Still makes me feel so, a little weird. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, just knowing you're being part of somebody's, you know, lives through your artwork. So, but yeah. that's why you do it for. So. Yeah, I was in Naples this weekend, and I went into the Publix. You know, my, while I was on my hunting trip to pick up a case of water and whatnot, and the guy in front of me had a CCA Life member shirt on. His wife had a CCA Star Tournament shirt on, and everybody's wearing masks now. So I just kind of walked up and said, hey, I'm a Life member of CCA Florida as well. We started chatting a little bit. And they said, who are you? I said, I'm Steve Whitlock. Oh, we got a bunch of your artwork in our house. <laughs> <laughs> cool, thank you. You know, and it just makes you feel good when stuff like that happens. Yeah. They're happy. It made their day. It makes my day because it's good for me. It's good for them. It's good for everybody in the community. I provide a lot of artwork for CCA Florida for their entire banquet program, Texas as well. And that's how they stay in business. And, you know, they're in the crowd business just like I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, banquets, it's tough. This COVID thing just changed the way everybody was doing it. put a lot of people under. They may it's, not recover, and I feel yeah. sorry for those people. Fortunately, I already had inventory sitting here that was paid for over all these years. Well, I think initially when this all hit, man, the fishing industry as a whole took a huge hit yeah. right off the bat. But from everybody I know across the country, it's become probably one of their best years ever. It's getting better. You know, I, I mean, I think a lot of that might be our current president with bringing business back to this country and the made America program, which I've been saying for many years we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I've had offers many, many times to do business with China on my inventory, my artwork. And I said, no, thank you. Once it goes there, it goes everywhere. You don't own, you don't own your copyright anymore. Mm-hmm. They steal your copyright. They steal your images. They use them for other things. We're, I mean, we've already had enough domestic issues with copyright infringement. We're five and on federal copyright cases and people stealing my images and you know using them for tournament art i've had boat wraps done with it uh apparel done with it you name it i see it i still see it on the web now there's people out of vietnam and out of panama that are making these crappy tapestry stuff and you see them on the web all the time and they're stealing mm-hmm. my art they're stealing carrie chins they're stealing don ray's guy harvey's and all of us talk to each other you know i'll call carrie i say hey man i just saw one of your stuff on a flag or a tapestry He'll say, damn it, it's those guys in Vietnam doing it again. He's been chasing them for three years. Well, you can't enforce it if it's over there. If someone here steals it and uses it and it's copyrighted, and even my signature is registered trademark, you're looking at some 
serious serious penalties up to 130 grand, 135 grand in penalties and fines. So it's got teeth, and but if you don't enforce it, they'll continue to do it. Yeah, and that's been one of the. the th- actually, we've gone about four or five years now and haven't not having to sue anybody. It's been kind of refreshing. That either the word got around that I don't take any of that crap. You know, it's no different than someone walking into your store and stealing your inventory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, um, well, I want to thank you. I mean, we've been on here for a little over an hour, but um, for inviting me into your home and stuff and uh, sharing this crazy story. Um, where can people uh, get a hold of you at on social media and your website? Um, Facebook, uh, Steve Whitlock Gamefish Art. Or Steve Whitlock, I have my personal page too. It's maxed out at five thousand all the time. So I've been trying to send a lot of people to my commercial page, and I cross share all my postings mm-hmm. where I'm going, when I'm gonna be there, all my new works always there. So I get a lot of comment and feedback from people, and that feedback helps me decide what I need to do on paintings. A lot of times I'll put a painting out there and, and have the public name it for me, and whoever's name I pick, I send them a free print of it. Nice. So it generates, I get these ideas because, you know, it's like having 100 children. How do you name them all, right? Yeah. yeah Every time yeah. I do a painting, i got to come up with a name for it. i got to call it something other than painting. Mm-hmm. So that's a good way to do it. Let the public help me name it. But That's cool. Yeah, it's a cool way to do it. But Thank you for inviting so, me to do this. This was neat to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still getting the hang of all this stuff. But uh, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride this year for sure. And, man, it's, it's such a cool medium. Just getting to talk to people, you know, for more than a 30-second spot on a radio show yeah. or something like that, you know, you kind of really get to talk about things and stuff. Yeah, and sitting in your living room, being casual, yeah. just having a conversation yeah. between it's two cool. guys that fish and appreciate the sport and yep. the environment. So I've interviewed a couple people that didn't even know what a podcast was, and now they do. Now they so. do. <laughs> I've done a couple Zoom things, you know, and on like CCA did a couple live auctions. We did some stuff with them in here. And uh, I'm always kind of awkward at it. I've done a bunch of interviews, and camera stuff always just freaks me out yeah, for some reason. camera's always different. But I'm still just the guy from Everglades that, you know, learned how to paint. Yeah. That's just the way I look at it. I'm just a guy like anybody else. And, you know, Billfish Magazine years ago said I was one of the top gamefish artists in the world, and I was just starting out at that time. And I look at that now and go, holy crap. You know, that's so long ago. Yeah. And, but if you don't improve at what you're doing and pay attention and don't get better, you're doing something wrong. You need to go find something else to do. Yep. And every painting I do now, in my mind, has to be better than the last one I did. It's not always successful, but then it's so subjective you don't know. You know mm-hmm. What you like, I might not like. Or I did a piece a while back of Little Lake, Louisiana. And while I was working on the piece, a friend of mine I had fished with the year before there in that exact spot recognized the spot i was painting and we fished all over that place and he's that's little lake that shoreline me and you fished i said jackpot yeah got it he recognized it so i guess i did my job mm-hmm. did some tailing fish around the gra- on the grass at, on the edge of a bunch of spartina grass basically and but he recognized the spot and the piece i'm working on in here i've had several people tell me where that piece was photographed yeah i photographed that reference in 2004 in the Everglades. And a buddy of mine said, that's Poon Lagoon. <laughs> and that's exactly where it's at. Yeah, I've seen that post on Facebook. Yeah. Link today. I mean, yeah. he and I go in there and soak catfish tails for tarpon all the time. We mm. used to when I lived down there. And another good couple of people thought it was the cut in the Keys, Calpin Cut. It's not. It does look like it. Mm. So you're doing your job right if 
you know people know what it is or know where it is but some of my new fine art stuff is just really pretty like the misty reds for mm-hmm. instance the boca grand lighthouse piece is a gorgeous one i have my favorites like anybody else i suppose yeah Lynn keeps telling me I'm selling my stuff too cheap, so I'm going to have to go up or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's stevewhitlock.com. Steve Whitlock Gamefish Art, or stevewhitlock.com is the website, or Steve Whitlock Gamefish Art on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, I mean, is uh, Steve Whitlock Gamefish Art. And uh, also BassPro.com. You can just type in my name yep. and do a search there as well. Cool. All the inventory is on my website. Bass Pro's got a limited amount of 30-some pieces. Yeah. But we've literally got hundreds of pieces on my website to choose from. There's apparel. There's links to the apparel. There's links to the, the new puzzles on the homepage. And a bio explains the whole story in a yeah. one-page brief. Cool, man. Well, um, well, hopefully you'll uh, maybe get back to Texas next year and maybe we can meet up. And yeah. Well, I'll be back in Rockport Fourth of July weekend. Hurricanes leave us alone long enough. <sighs> yeah. And they've had enough problems down there already with storms. Yep. It's, uh, that's Believe it or not, Rockport from Texas, that's a nine-day road trip for me, and it's one of the best events of the year I do. I empty a 15-foot trailer every time I go to Probably my favorite town on the Texas coast. It's cool. It's a really pretty And I go area. wade fishing. Rockport, Fulton yeah. area. I'll buy a three-day fishing license while I'm there, and I'll go wade fishing while I'm there. I know I'm going to get checked. I haven't been checked yet. Yeah. I've been out there a dozen times with truck and trailer, never been checked yet. <laughs> I went deer hunting this week. I got checked two days in a row. <laughs> Fun game. And you know what funny thing was? Both game wards asked me for a business card because I got graphics all over my truck. <laughs> yeah. And they knew me from CCA banquets because they pull security for our banquets here. Mm-hmm. And they were surprised. I said, guys, I've been hunting this place since before you boys were born. (laughs) They're in their 30s, you know. Oh, gosh, man. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. Well, uh, thanks again for being on. And, um, yeah, man, um, we'll uh, we'll put links to everything in the show notes for everybody. And and hopefully some people will reach out. And uh, who knows, man, maybe. Yeah, I wanted to get back and do the Houston Fishing Show this year again because they canceled, I think, last year. <clears throat> but there again, with the situation with my mom, it's kind of hard for me to be gone too much. Yeah. So this year I'm really focusing on booking local events. I know the um, – so the Houston Fishing Show this year was the last thing in Harris County before everything got locked down. Mm-hmm. Literally, the next day there was no more. And um, – I heard yesterday or a day before that the Houston Winter Boat Show was canceled, mm. um, at least for at uh, the Reliance Stadium. That's the big 10-day show. So, But, man, it, boats, that's a whole other rabbit hole. I don't even want to start yeah. start on. Well, but. My last show was February, the Marathon Seafood Festival in the Keys. And there was nobody. There was 20% of the people there, there the year before. They charged five bucks a head to get in so they know exactly what their numbers are. I did phenomenal considering I was dealing with 20% of the population. It was the first time I'd done it. Wanting to do it, but, you know, there's so many events, you got to pick your fight. Do you do this mm-hmm. one? And you got to book a month ahead a lot of times. So it's it's a challenge. I've done two events with Bass Pro Shops since then, in-store deals. But my first art show is going to be this coming weekend in Daphne, Alabama, the Jubilee Festival, Saturday and Sunday um, this coming week. So I'll leave Thursday to drive out and set up Friday back here monday yeah and then uh, a few weeks off i'm doing the fort myers boat show and then i've got another show in santa bell island <clears throat> nice well so. good luck this weekend and um 
And other than that, man, we'll, uh, like I said, we'll put links to everything up in the show notes. And and, uh, thanks again for being on. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this episode with Mr. Steve Whitlock. Thanks again for to him, especially for being on the show with us this week and um, really, really had fun doing this interview with him and, and uh, sharing the story he had. And, um, you know, and, and hopefully somebody you are out there listening or into to drawing, sketching and painting and, and um, reach out to Steve on his social media and uh, and see what advice he can offer you. And, and uh, hopefully this will inspire you a little bit to stick with it and know that you can create you know your own path through the through the world of art and um um, pretty cool stuff he's got going on so thanks for him for being on again um we're gonna have a bunch of links for all his stuff in the show notes so check those out and we're also going to be doing a giveaway with uh some steve whitlock apparel and some other stuff so check us out on instagram and facebook here in the next few weeks and um, we'll get that up and going so Anyway, until next time, hope everybody's doing great and can't wait to to get back on here with our next show. Thanks a lot for tuning in. See you next time. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta and Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.